Welcome back to Launch Day, Episode 3. If you didn't already, be sure to check out the first two episodes in which I spoke to Adam Pullman and Marcy Nevin. And let's get into Episode 3 in which I speak to Jason Goggins. He's a former police officer turned fitness and weight loss coach. He's been doing that for 21 years, having owned gyms and boot camps and training studios for 17 of them. He now works completely online and was gracious enough to join me to discuss the importance of enjoying your fitness journey and understanding why you're working to improve your health. We covered a wide range of topics, and I think you'll agree with me that his enthusiasm and passion for health and fitness really stand out. Hey, what if I told you I have the secret get fit quick formula? Well, I'd be lying. See, there isn't a one-size-fits-all magic potion, and fitness isn't something obtained overnight. I learned that the hard way. Through many failed experiments, I've ended up on all sides of the scale, from overweight to underweight to now my ideal weight. I've been where you are. It took a while, but I finally discovered there is a simple formula. It's reliable and sustainable. It can be tailored to your individual genetics and goals. It's not a shortcut, but knowing about it is. This show is meant to guide you along your health journey. By listening to the stories of health and fitness professionals, you will learn the principles and habits that can lead you to long-term health. I'm Teddy Benz, and I want to help you craft your fitness formula. Jason, hi, how are you? I'm doing great, Teddy, man. I appreciate you having me on the show. I appreciate you coming on. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, getting a lot of good information out of you. Absolutely. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, let's start out by uh, learning a little bit um, about you, um, how you got into personal training and the fitness industry and um, where you're at today. Yeah, so I actually graduated from the University of Florida, go Gators, and, um, and, and my goal was to be a federal agent. That's what my dad did. So that's, what, that's the world I grew up in. I was going to be a federal agent. And to do that, you had to have three years of law, for, law enforcement experience. So I became a local police officer just outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And once I graduated the academy and got on the road, I started putting on Wait, and one day, two two things kind of happened. So I uh, I got a call one time of some people robbing a house, and I show up, and there's six guys go scattering out of the house like little water bugs, just running every direction. So I hone in on one, and I get out of my car and I start a foot chase with them. Well, this is after I put on the weight, and I realized after about a minute that a I'm not running very fast, and b I'm about to die. Well the guy I'm chasing comes to a hill, tries to run up the hill. And I don't know what happened, but he ended up sliding down back right at my feet. So I just kind of fell on top of him, handcuffed him, went to talk on my radio and let dispatch know and everyone else know I had one in custody and I could not speak. I was so out of breath. My heart was pounding out of my chest. This was about a two or three minute run. So we're not talking about running for, you know, 10 miles or, or anything like that. And I, I thought I was going to die. I mean, I really, I could not speak. And uh, I get back to my car, you know, get the guy in the back of my car and I'm recovering and, and finally getting the, uh, the adrenaline dump and, and the heart's back under control. And I started to realize this guy happened to be 140 pounds soaking wet. So it wasn't like he was going to put up much of a fight, but had he been a bigger, tougher guy and tried to fight me, I would have had no chance. I really literally would have had no chance. I had nothing left after that short of a run because I'd gotten that far out of shape. 
So that was a wake up call for me. And then like a day or so later, I remember I was, I was sitting on the couch. I was looking at my gut thinking, man, this is really, cause I was in, I played sports my whole life. I was in shape my whole, I came out of the academy cause it was, it's very physical, the academy in really good shape. And it's like, how did I let myself get so far out of whack so quick? And uh, it was a wake up call. So I began that day. I just started running. I didn't know what I was doing back then. I just started running like everyone else does when they want to lose weight. And uh, then I started reading and buying the magazines and doing all those things and, and changing my nutrition. And I ended up losing 37 pounds in a, in a couple months, about three, four months. And, you know, I started getting questions because other police officers, as some you and some of your listeners may know, are also overweight. And, um, and I started getting questions like, man, how'd you do it? How'd you? And I started helping people. Even when I didn't really know what I was doing back then, again, this was 1999, so it's many, many moons ago, but, uh, but I started helping people drop weight and get fit, and I started to realize at some point, man, I love doing this, and I don't really love law enforcement like I hoped I would, and it came time for a decision. In 2002, I left police work, opened my own gym, and the rest is history, and I owned gyms for 17 years. I've owned one-on-one personal training studios. I owned a, uh, a large boot camp company, and then... I uh, opened a CrossFit gym in 2011 and just sold that not too long ago. So um, now I'm online. I coach exclusively online and uh, specialize in fitness and fat loss. And, you know, again, I, I love it even more today than I did back in 1999. And, you know, watching people transform and, you know, we talk about physical transformations, bodies changing and looking good in your clothes. And that's all amazing. But the mental transformations that happen will make it worthwhile. The, the way that you know, transforming your body, recapturing your health, the way it builds your confidence and the way that trickles down to every aspect of your life and just watching people transform in so many ways. And there's not a better job on earth. So that was my little five minute dissertation on, on my journey. And that's how we got where we are today. Wow. Great. You really um, hit a great point that um, your physical health uh, does a lot more for you than just the way that you're able to move and live on a day-to-day basis it also impacts your your mental health and your relationships with other people and um i think like you touched on as a personal trainer being able to help people with such a wide reaching hand is really a great um aspect of that job absolutely agreed it, it, it's amazing it's the best part of the job in my opinion and um you said that when you were beginning to lose weight, you didn't really uh, have an idea of what you were doing. Like you just knew like, okay, I'm going to run and I'm going to lose weight. Um, but, and you were successful in losing weight, but did you find at any point that uh, you kind of got misled by any information or that you did some, you tried something that didn't really work? Um, or do you think you just happened to choose the right things and got lucky with that? I would say it's a little bit of a combination of all that. So what I did is, you know, I mentioned that I picked, started picking up magazines and reading about things and magazines are a funny thing because their number one goal is to sell magazines, not to give you the best advice. So you get a, a bunch of regurgitated information. You get uh, you know, people on there who may be bodybuilders or they may be, you know, fitness models and, and they live a different life and have different desires and, and different preferences than most people. And here's what I mean. So when you look at and I always caution people, when you look at fitness models or Instagram influencers or all these people that look amazing and, and 
oftentimes they live different lives than other people live, meaning that's what they get paid to do. That's their job. So they have the time to dedicate to that. Not only that, but I, you know, being in this industry for so long, I've had a lot of friends and, and, and you know, uh, people I've worked with in this industry that are they're personal trainers, nutritionists and things like that. And a lot of them just don't care about food. <laughs> they don't care about the taste of food. food. Food for them is purely fuel. And they don't care if it tastes like cardboard. And they don't really always understand why everyone else doesn't feel that way. And they don't always understand why everyone else doesn't want to go to the gym two hours a day, right? Their mind can't fathom. How could you not want this? Look how amazing I look. And I feel amazing. And I believe that. But at the end of the day, that's not overly realistic for most people, those extreme approaches. And that's the approach I took early on. I started running and here's the mistakes I made is I hate running. It's it, to this day, I can't stand it. It's awful. And I remember it was a grind for me to get out there and run. And I built up to five, six miles a day, which is not nothing, but it's not going to you know blow anybody's mind. And I used to put like, uh, military cadence in my ear, like the uh, Navy SEALs cadence when they do their marches as a kind of a motivator to get me through the runs and, and try to keep my pace up and all that. And I hated every minute of it. So I chose a form of exercise I didn't enjoy. That was mistake number one. And mistake number two was I went really extreme with my nutrition. Now it's interesting to call it a mistake because it worked, but here's the thing. A lot of things work. Like a lot of things can help you drop weight. There's not a whole lot of things that can help you keep it off especially when you go to extreme tactics or you're doing stuff you just hate to do. You know, so when I see people saying, well, I'm going to run and I'm going to eliminate all sugar, all carbs, all alcohol, everything I love from my life, it's like, okay, that, that can work for you. You're going to drop weight doing that, most likely. But what happens when that becomes too miserable to sustain? And you start bringing the alcohol and the carbs and maybe a little bit of sugar back in your life. And man, you don't want to go for another run because you hate it. What happens then? What's your go-to after that? And that's the, the piece of the puzzle that most fitness and, and fat loss programs lack is that they're, 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 they can be good at helping you drop weight. They're very poor at long-term adherence and long-term sustainability because most of them fall back on too much restriction. Now, that doesn't mean that no restriction is necessary. If you put on weight and you're carrying extra weight, then some changes have to be made, of course. But the level of restriction, the level of change matters. And it matters for sustainability. So that's a mistake I made. And it took time for me to kind of figure out, okay, well, I was eating tuna right out of a can and an apple for dinner. You know, those kind of things, which plain tuna with nothing in it or on it is awful. And for me anyway, and, and I was doing things like that and I was running. So everything I did, I didn't like, but it worked. But I had to evolve into something more sustainable. And, and that's what I always encourage my clients to do. And I actually start people out with a little more, sustainable approach, but, but I, I followed the extreme restrictions. I followed the extreme tactics early on because I didn't know any better. And you look at a magazine and say, man, these people look amazing. They must know exactly what to do. And they do. They, they know what they're doing. They know what they're talking about, but they also don't mind the restrictions. They don't mind living that way. And I found over 21 years that that is the exception, not the rule. So those, if I had to point to a mistake I made early, it was being too extreme too soon. Right. And it's important to, um, when you're beginning your weight loss or muscle gain journey to understand why you're doing it. Um, like in the case of a marathon runner or a bodybuilder, the reason that they're doing it is to achieve some athletic, just like accolades. Um, they want, they, that's what they enjoy. But for most people, that's not the case. They just want to be in a place where they, 
are healthy and feel good. So enjoying that process is in a very important part of that because if you're not enjoying the process of getting in shape, then what's the point of doing it? The point of getting in shape for a lot of people is to enjoy their life more. Yep. Yep. Totally agree. And I always kind of uh, break it down this way. Here's the, the paradox of, of getting fit and losing weight is, and this is especially true if you go to extreme restriction or you're doing stuff you just don't enjoy. And anyone who's tried to go on a diet or tried extreme methods, I think we can all relate to the mindset of, holy crap, I can't wait till this thing is over so I can go back to my old way of living. And that right there should tell you sustainability is an issue with that. So, so what I tell people is, is here's the paradox is if you engage in extreme restrictions or extreme methods or you do an exercise you hate or you're punishing your body too much in the gym and you're just miserably tired all the time, your sleep sucks, all these things are out of whack. When you start doing those things, you don't get results or payoff immediately. It's a little bit of delayed gratification, right? You don't work out one day, look amazing the next. It takes time to start seeing results. And that's a very hard thing to convince your mind of. It's a tough sell for your brain to say, keep doing the stuff you hate, keep punishing your body in the gym, you know, beyond what, what, what you should be doing and, and keep eliminating all the foods you love and keep doing all these things that you absolutely hate to do and still not get results for a month or two, right? After two or three weeks of that, and you're not seeing the changes. I mean, even though there probably are changes in a, in, in a couple of weeks, they're all, not all that noticeable. That's a tough sell for your brain. The brain's eventually going to say, screw this and go right back to your old life. You know, if you could work out and, and, and live by some maybe extreme restrictions and see immediate payoff, maybe your mind could buy into it for a little bit longer. But you have to learn to enjoy the process and the journey. Now, you'll hear that in so many different aspects of life, like business, though, people tell you, you know, stop worrying about the destinations, learn to enjoy the journey. Well, that's really hard to do if you're doing things you hate. <laughs> and until you can, and that's the difference, a guy like you, Teddy, who, who's fit and in shape and loves fitness, myself, other people, the difference, I think, between people like us and people who aren't there yet is we've learned to enjoy the journey. And it's really hard to learn to enjoy the journey when you're doing stuff that just sucks. So there's, there's got to be a better way and there is a better way. There is a more sustainable way. The problem is, is it tends to be hidden behind the curtain of all the other junk that's out there in the fitness and nutrition industry. But once you learn it and understand it, it changes everything. But you got to learn to enjoy the journey. And, and I think, you know, extreme methods are a pretty poor way to do that for most people. I was actually, um, before I got into um, health and fitness, um, overweight myself. And the way I uh, reduced my um, weight was by running just like you. And I hated like every single time I did that. Um, and I was just burnt out from it. And if I hadn't switched to um, weight training and doing something that I enjoyed, like I enjoy the process of progressing and continuing to see that I am building strength. I don't think that I would have kept going with my, like maintaining my health the way I have. So um, yes, enjoying the process is a hugely important aspect of um, living a sustainably healthy life. Yeah, that, that's a great point you make there because the next logical question from my story is, well, then how did you maintain it? And the truth is I did not. I've had a few instances early, you know, not long after that, where I put weight back on is because I had a hard time staying that extreme and doing things that I hated. So you and I have a very similar journey in that 
I turned to weight training and fell in love with weight training. And, you know, once you understand the science of, of the body and things like that, you start to realize weight training should be the anchor and the core of everything you do. Fitness wise doesn't mean it's all you need to do or, or all you, you should do. There's other things I think you should find exercise you enjoy, play sports if you want to. If you just love cardio and running, do it. But everybody needs to lift weights. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But, um, but I found weight training and realized how amazing it is. I fell in love with it. And it wasn't until then that I found sustainability and I sustained that for you know about 10 years. And then I got a little bored with that and I found CrossFit, fell in love with CrossFit, did that for eight years and, and kind of went away from that and got a little bored with that. And, and now I'm kind of dabbling back in it again. But the, the point is, you know, I found something I enjoyed. And then nutrition wise, I found other ways to drop body fat and keep it off that didn't require me to eat plain tuna out of a can. And it wasn't until I started doing those things that it became sustainable. Mm -hmm. Could you expand on some of the reasons uh, that you say that everyone should resistance train in some way? Yeah. So let, let's talk about it from the perspective of someone trying to drop body fat. So if I'm trying to drop body fat, the number one thing I have to do is maintain a consistent caloric deficit. I have to eat fewer calories than I burn. That is very simplistic advice. It is not complete advice, but it is the, the foundation of the pyramid. Because until I get that part right, nothing else is going to matter. And I like to equate things as an analogy to your finances, right? So if you want more money in the bank, you've got to save more than you spend, right? That is a fundamental truth. Until you do that, you will not have more money in your bank. But that is very simplistic advice, right? Because that's easier said than done. And how that looks is going to be different for everybody. We're all going to save in different ways, spend in different ways, cut back in different ways. So it's very simplistic advice, but it's still the base of the pyramid that everything else built upon. So if I'm eating in a caloric deficit to drop body fat, there's some risks involved in that. One of them being I can sacrifice lean muscle tissue in the process. Right, because when you're in, in a calorie deficit, another term for that is an energy deficit, right? So you're trying to ask your body to burn X amount of energy, but you're not giving it enough energy via calories to perform the things you want it to do. So it's got to go find energy to do those things. And that's what you want happening when you're looking to drop body fat, right? It's the, it's the law of thermodynamics. And the problem with that is that there's a chance, it, well, it will tap into body fat because that is your main source of stored energy but it can also start to tap into lean muscle tissue. And you can actually convert the amino acids of your muscle into, into glucose, blood glucose, and burn it off as energy. Well, losing muscle tissue is the last thing you want to happen when dropping body fat. The reason being is one, you're gonna get weaker, right? Nobody wants to be weak. Number two is it's going to greatly affect the aesthetics on the other end of the process. So if I am able to drop the, the body fat that I wanna drop, but I've lost muscle in the process, I'm still going to be a mushy mess. I may have dropped weight on a scale, but I'm still not going to look good in a t-shirt, you know, fill out a t-shirt if I'm a guy or look great in the tank top if I'm a lady, because I'm still just mush. It's called being skinny fat. So resistance training when trying to drop body fat is one of the things you have to have in place to keep your lean muscle tissue for the reasons that I listed. And when you combine that with also keeping an adequate amount of protein in your diet, that's kind of the, the magic formula of maintaining lean muscle. So if, if you want to be a strong, confident, capable, look great person at the end of your journey, you have to have a strength training, resistance training component to your program. Because if you rely just on cardio, 
you're going to be pretty unhappy with the aesthetics on the other end. Definitely. And I know it, that a lot of people believe that as you age, adding, gaining uh, fat and, uh, is inevitable that you're going to, your metabolism is going to slow down. You're going to not process food as well. And you're just going to, it's just a, an unfortunate reality that you're going to gain weight as you age. Right. Um, but what are some ways to prevent that? Um, so that you don't even have to worry about trying to lose the weight that you can never even get to the point where you have gained weight from any kind of um, bodily changes you might um, experience as you age. I imagine that um, weight training uh, is one great way, but are there other ways to um, kind of uh, proactively prepare yourself as you age? Yeah. So, and this is coming from a guy that's 45 years old and has four kids. So I'm not, you know, 26 trying to tell you this advice, but weight gain is not actually inevitable as you age. It is not a given. Now, do our metabolism start to slow slightly as we age? They do. Do we start to lose the lean muscle tissue, tissue as we age? Yeah, we do. But not at the rate to justify the amount of weight gain that I see people uh, take on. So why are people gaining weight as we age? Why is it harder to lose weight as we age? Because it is. It is harder. But there's some really common sense reasons why this is. So as we age, a few things start to happen. Well, first, you do have that slight dip in metabolism. I don't, I don't want to discount that. It is there, but it's pretty easy to overcome if you're aware of the things I'm going to talk about next. So first and foremost, the number one thing that happens as you get older is you get this thing called responsibilities. <laughs> you get jobs, you get careers, you get family, you get kids, you get the kids have little league, they got homework, and you're trying to advance in your career. So you're putting in long hours and, and you're not hitting the gym like you used to. And you're... Or, you've created a life that is so sedentary that you're just not burning the calories that you used to burn. Right. And, and this is what I try to tell people. If age were the defining factor or the deciding factor in this, then we wouldn't have obesity in kids. But the reason kids get overweight, is not a mystery. They eat too much food and they don't move enough. So when you look at a kid and you say, wow, you're overweight, your first piece of advice is going to be, man, you got to get out and move more. Well, the same piece of advice needs to be given to adults as well. You got to move more. You got to expend more energy because what happens and, and, and try to follow me here, because it, it, when you really see this play out and mapped out, it, it becomes very clear while we gain weight as we age. And then the answer becomes very clear in the process. But as we age and we get these responsibilities and we have less time, and oh, by the way, our sleep is less, right? Because all the things already named, so we have less energy. It's just these compounding effects that cause us to burn fewer calories. But those things also come with stress and anxiety for a lot of people. And when you combine stress and anxiety with, with poor sleep, it is a recipe for a nutrition disaster because we use food as a mental band-aid. When I'm stressed, I'm anxious, I want food. It's a, it makes me feel better. It gives me a, a quick you know, boost, a, a mental boost. And, and when I don't get much sleep, the body needs energy and you're going to crave things that give you quick energy like sugars and processed carbs, which... I'm not against a little bit of that in your diet, but at the end of the day, if that's what most of your diet's made of, you're going to struggle because those things come with a load of calories and they're delicious. So they're very easy to overeat, right? So all these things are happening as you age. So you end up eating like you did when you were younger, but you're not moving like you did when you were younger. So that's why, and, and, and think about, you know, if you go back, you know, thousand, 2000, 3000 years or whatever, 
and we had to work for everything physically, manually work for it. We had to go to the river with you know, pails of, to get water and bring it back. We had to hunt our own food and build our own shelter. And we were constantly in motion. Well, today we lay in our beds, we get in our cars, we sit at our desks, we get back in our cars, we sit on our couch, we lay back in our beds. And if we want food, we go to the grocery store, maybe take 500 steps to get our food, or we just get on our app and we have it delivered to our front door, which takes even less effort. So we have built these lives for ourselves, which on one hand are kind of nice because they're comfortable, right? They're easy, but they're terrible for your waistline. So you're just not expending the calories you did when you were younger, when you were playing sports, you were hitting the gym because you had time to do that. You know, you were going out to clubs and dancing and all these things you did when you were younger and you were so active. But going back to what I said a minute ago, look at a kid who doesn't do those things. A kid, they gain weight because it's not age related. It's lifestyle related. Right. So what do we do? It goes back to that, that the, 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 the foundation of the pyramid I mentioned of we got to find a way to, to burn more calories than we consume. And that can look one of three ways. We can burn more calories. We can eat less food or a combination of the two. Right. So we got to create lives where we're more active. We got to build habits that give us more activity. And the, the good news is there's ways to do this that aren't overwhelming. There's ways to do this that don't dominate your life, that you can fit into a busy lifestyle. And this is coming from a guy, like I said, that's 45 with four kids and runs a business. I am remarkably busy, but I have habits and, and you probably do as well, Teddy, built into your life or into my life that allow me to move more. Right. I track mm -hmm. my steps every day. I wear a, I have an Apple watch, but I wear that every day and track my steps. I got to hit a certain amount of steps every day. Getting steps is pretty easy. It doesn't require much effort. It takes thought and intentionality, but it does, it's not exhausting to go for a 20 minute walk, right? You know, when I, and these are things that might sound cliche, but over time they add up and matter, you know, park further away from the front door to get some extra steps in, you know, don't send your kids upstairs to grab the remote. You go up and get it. You know, when your kids have little league sports going on, walk around while they're doing that at practice. Maybe not during a game, you're trying to focus, but I do that all the time when my kids have practice. I walk just to get more steps in. It's easy. It's, it, it, again, it takes thought and it takes, you know, uh, the habit of doing it, but it's, it's easy. It doesn't take much effort. You know, take the dog for a longer walk. The dog will enjoy it and you will too. You know, things like that to get more movement, set an alarm on your phone that reminds you every hour to get up from your desk and walk around a little bit, stretch a little bit. One of these things in isolation won't matter much. Two or three of these things done consistently every day, every week, every month, every year adds up to big time caloric expenditure. Right. And then we get in this mindset of, well, when I work out, it's got to be these hour and a half long sessions. No, it doesn't. Remember what I said earlier. The number one thing you should be doing is, is, is weight training. Well, 30, 45 minute weight training sessions, plenty, because you're not using that as your main caloric burn. You're running about three calories per minute of weight training, not a huge caloric expenditure with that. Even cardio doesn't deliver the caloric expenditure people think it does. A good 30 minute cardio session might burn three, 400 calories at most. That's one extra slice of pizza, right? So we're using exercise to maintain our lean muscle tissue. We're using it to get a, a little bit of added caloric burn. We're using it to keep our heart and lungs healthy and, and all the other benefits that exercise delivers. And then we're using our movement that is outside of exercise throughout the day, getting our steps up, getting a little movement into to burn extra calories and then manage the amount of food we, we take in. That's the formula, right? And again, it's very easy to say here on a podcast, but I always tell people the concept of, of 
Losing weight or the concept of not putting on weight is very simple. Just like the concept of saving money is very simple. But the application of it is a little more challenging, sure. But it doesn't change the fact that it's simple. And it's, it, it's not difficult to understand why we gain weight as we age. We don't move as much and we keep eating like we did when we were younger, period. Now, how you fix that, you know, anyone listening is going to look different than your neighbor, your mom, your coworker. But those are still the things that have to be fixed and addressed. And once you do, age will no longer be a factor, which is why you see people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s who look amazing who do these things. Because age is not the factor, the lifestyle is. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you gave some great actionable advice uh, to increase the calories that you burn throughout the day, going for a walk, having a fitness tracker to remind you that you need to get more steps in. Uh, do you have any actionable tips that someone could uh, implement today or sometime in the near future on the other side of that, the calories consumed part of the calorie deficit equation? Yeah, so, and this is something else going to be very individualized. And I'll run down some options here. And this is not going to be an exhaustive list, but it is some things that you can kick around and consider. So at the end of the day, there's a few things we got to know first, right? We got to know about how many calories you burn in a day. Because until you know that number, it's impossible to know how many you should be consuming. Right? So it, that's called your total daily energy expenditure, your TDEE. And your total daily energy expenditure makes up, is made up of four components, your basal metabolic rate, your NEAT, your EAT, and your, your thermic effect of food. So your basal metabolic rate is the amount of calories you burn to stay alive, right? It's just your baseline calories to keep your heart pumping, your lungs working, when you swallow, your metabolism, all the things, your brain activity, everything goes on inside the body, keep you alive. That's your basal metabolic rate. Right. You're, so if you were um, just laying in your bed all day, you would burn those calories no matter what. Correct. Absolutely. And that's individualized, right? You know, your, your age, your height, your weight, your, your lean body mass, a few things play into that number. Well, then you got your non-exercise activity, which I already talked about is movement that does not include exercise. That's your NEAT. It's non-exercise activity thermogenesis is what it's called. But just for simplicity's sake, we'll call it our NEAT because that's the acronym. You got to get your NEAT elevated, right? But that, that plays into the equation. Your exercise activity thermogenesis is exercise. And then thermic effect of food is, is the calories required to digest the food you eat and all the, you know, process the food and everything like that. So that's how you burn calories. And there are great equations out there that will help you calculate that number. But once you get that number, and let's say for me, it is, you know, 2,900 calories a day is what I burn. And that's about what I burn. So if that's my number, if I eat 2,900 calories a day, then I am what we, uh, what you call eating at caloric maintenance. That means I'm not going to gain or lose weight. If I eat 2,901 calories or above, then I'm in a caloric surplus and I'm going to gain body fat. If I eat below that, then I'm in a caloric deficit and I'm going to drop body fat. Now, how much below that? is, is going to matter, right? So if I'm a hundred below that, it's going to take forever to lose weight and probably you're not going to lose weight because of some variability in the numbers. But you know, if I'm six, 700 calories a day, consistently below that, I'm going to drop weight at a, or body fat at a pretty good, good pace. So you got to determine those numbers. And then within that, you got to figure out, okay, well, I need to be in a caloric deficit. I burn about 2,900 calories a day. How much of a deficit am I comfortable with? Because Caloric deficit is not the same thing as caloric deprivation. Caloric deprivation means cutting your calories really low 
becoming really miserable and hungry. And that is not the way that I ever advise anybody to do it. So don't confuse the two terms, but you got to figure out what deficit is comfortable enough for you, you know, and maybe that's a 15% deficit, 20%, 25%, 30%, anything beyond that is going to be a struggle. And from there, you've got a couple options. You can begin tracking your calories, which is what I think most people should do at first, because there's no better education on your nutrition, your own personal nutrition than tracking calories. It is the most eye-opening thing you will ever do in your life when it comes to your nutrition. And the beauty of it is, in 2020, it is incredibly simple and easy to do thanks to technology, right? Go back 30 years, it was miserable. You know, back before maybe there was even food labels on things and there was no Google to look something up and you had to use a pen and a pad and do math. That was pretty arduous to expect somebody to do. But in 2020, we have apps, we have technology, and you can track your calories in a matter of five minutes or less a day, two or three minutes a day if you, once you get comfortable with it. Now, that doesn't mean you got to track to the day you die, but I think for an extended amount of time at the beginning, there's nothing more valuable you can do for your nutrition than figure out how many calories you are eating in a day versus what you thought you were eating, how many calories are in the foods that you're, the regular foods you eat. Maybe you thought something was low-cal that wasn't. You know, people like, you know, avocados are all the rays these days, but they are calorie bombs. Do they have healthy fats in them? Yeah, they do. They, you know, can they be a part of your diet? Absolutely. But don't lose sight of the fact that they are calorie bombs, right? So that, that's an example. People don't realize how many calories in that. They don't think about the calories and the condiments they use, the butter they cook with, the oils they cook with, you know, the, the four or five bites they had while they were eating their dinner or, or making dinner to make sure it tastes okay, finishing their kid's plate, uh, you know, the, the, the coffee drink they had in the morning. They forget about these calories. And when you track, it opens your mind to, oh, my gosh, I was eating way more food than I thought I was. And that totally explains why I put on so much weight in the last 10 years. Right? There's nothing else you can do to give you that education. So figuring out how many calories you burn in a day, figuring out what deficit you're comfortable with, tracking your food to maintain that deficit, and the education that comes from that is incredibly valuable. Now, there are people going to hear that and say, well, I'm not tracking. That's too tedious or whatever. It's not. And I would go back to my financial analogy again and say, if you went to a financial advisor and they said, hey, man, you need to track your finances, you would think, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll track them. You would never argue that. But when it comes to tracking your food, right? It's, it's the same principle. You got to track your expenditures and what's coming in just like you would your money. But there are some people that just refuse. Well, if you refuse to track, then you got to go to some other methods that are going to be less exact. And not that tracking is exact, but it's the closest you're going to get to it. You got to go to methods that aren't going to be quite as dialed in. So you can use things like intermittent fasting where you're shortening your feeding window. And in theory, because you're shortening your feeding window, you're going to eat fewer calories. But that's not true if you get to your feeding window and you binge eat. <laughs> so there's still some, so a, a lot of room for error. You can do a fad diet. You can do something like the ketogenic diet, which is going to get you into a caloric deficit by removing the carbohydrates you eat, which is most likely your most abundant macronutrients you eat. Right? Keto doesn't help you drop fat by you know, hormonal things. Right? It, it helps you drop fat if it helps you drop fat by removing a major macronutrient and causing you to create a caloric deficit. So you can do a fat diet like that, you know, paleos of the world, uh, you know, Mediterranean diets, things like that, that could potentially get you into a, a caloric deficit. You can do portion control, which, you know, there, there's methods out there. We can use your hand size to measure your portions when you eat, right? You can order pre-portioned meals. There's so many companies out there that do that now that come with a caloric, uh, the caloric load already written on the package for you. It's a little more expensive, but that is a way to do it. So there's a lot of ways to skin this cat, just like there's a lot of ways 
to attack your finances. But at the end of the day, nothing changes the fact that you got to maintain a consistent caloric deficit. That's the only way to drop body fat. There's no other way to do it. So when you hear me say all those options, now it's incumbent upon you to figure out, okay, which one's right for me? And that may take some experimentation, but once you find a way to maintain a consistent caloric deficit that you can, can handle for the long haul, you will have control over your weight forever. But it is going to require, you know, that upfront initial experimentation to figure out what that is. Yeah. And it um, definitely speaks to the individualized nature of um, health and fitness. You really have to figure out what works for you um, because maybe you could do intermittent fasting for a little while or the keto diet for a little while, but maybe you don't enjoy the restrictions that um, they place on you. And if you're not, like we touched on with exercise, if you're not enjoying it, um, are you going to be able to sustain it long-term? Most likely not. So you have to figure out which method helps you achieve your goal, but also makes you happy doing it. Yeah, totally agree. And and the the term I use for that is you cannot use a short-term tactic to accomplish a long-term goal, right? So if you embark on a ketogenic diet and you love carbohydrates, that is going to be a short-term tactic. The question becomes, how in the heck is that going to deliver a long-term goal then? Because <laughs> once you bring carbs back in, how do you know how many to bring back in? How do you know, you know what to do next once you can't handle the ketogenic diet anymore? You, you don't. It, it, so you got to find something to your point, Teddy, that, that people you know, can, that, well, that you can live with, that you can sustain. And I promise you, for 95% of people out there, that method exists. You just don't know about it because you haven't tried or you may not be educated on what the, all the options are, but it's out there. And when you find it, it is a game changer. And that's what our jobs as coaches are, right? Your job as a coach, my job as a coach, our job is to help pe- match people to the most sustainable approach for them. And it could require some experimentation. It, it, you know, the first thing I do with my clients is we ask them about 47 questions on a questionnaire to try to hone in on their lifestyle, their preferences, their desires, their goals, to help match them with the right approach for them. But when you get an approach nutritionally that fits your lifestyle and preferences, the best, you know, is never going to be a perfect fit, but the best that you can to minimize restriction and misery. And you combine that with a solid weight training program for the reasons we named, maybe a little bit of extra exercise that you enjoy, and also a, a some kind of habit building to help you move more throughout the day, right? That's when things start to change. That's when things start to flip. And when you can find ways to do those things sustainably, it, it, it gives you, it's not that, you, it's not that you, you just lose weight. It's that you lose weight and you have complete control over your weight forever because you built the skills and the knowledge as opposed to the weight having control over you, which is how so many people feel. Yes, that, that is absolutely right. Well, that was a lot of awesome information, Jason. I really appreciate you coming on and uh, being willing to share all of that. My pleasure, man. I love to share it. Again, this is my, my, my passion in life is sharing this stuff. And hopefully your audience you know, got some takeaways from it. And um, I just appreciate you having me on the show, man. Yeah. If you'd like to take a moment to tell people where they can find you online, how they could get in contact with you, uh, please go ahead. Yeah, I appreciate that. So my website is Jason Goggins, G-O-G-G-A-N-S, fitness.com, Jason Goggins, fitness.com. And when you go there, the, the best thing you can do if you want to kind of learn more about this is there's a tab at the top that says five-day challenge. It's totally free. I run them once every five to six weeks. And it's a five-day thing. It's run through Facebook in a private Facebook group where everything I said in, in this 
podcast today, I take you through step by step and help you customize it to yourself and your life. It is 100% free. And uh, we're about to finish one up tomorrow. So the next one's going to be in about five weeks. Uh, but I, and I don't know what this I take that back because this is going to air probably later than we're talking right now. So uh, the next one's going to be at the beginning of October. So depending on when this airs, uh, but that's the first step you can take with me is go through that challenge and let me teach you this stuff. And at the other end of that challenge, you're going to know exactly in no uncertain terms how to move forward with this stuff. So, you know, jasongogginsfitness.com, click on that link, register for the challenge. And um, I'd love to help you in that aspect. Awesome. So if you're interested in reaching out to Jason or uh, checking out that training, then uh, links to that will be in the uh, show notes. So be sure to check that out. Thanks, Teddy. I appreciate that, man. Yep. Thank you for coming on, Jason. It was a pleasure talking. Likewise, bud. All right. Take care. Hey, I wanted to say thank you so much for listening. I've set a goal of helping as many people as I can live happier, healthier lives, even if it is just in the small way that this podcast can provide. If you have found this episode valuable, and if you haven't already, please consider subscribing as well as leaving a rating and review. It helps grow the show, which allows me to reach more people like you. Until next time, be well. It's really easy to see how much Jason really cares about health and fitness and helping others to become healthy and fit. So I really appreciate him agreeing to come on the show and providing all that great information for you and me. In the next episode, I talk to Susan Niebergall, who has a very similar passion, specifically in helping middle-aged and elderly people understand that it's not too late for them. They can still improve their health and become the healthiest they've ever been. So if you're interested in that, be sure to check out episode four of this launch day.